Again, and allow me to uh, welcome you once again to the fifth large group of the semester for RUF. My name is Nick. Uh, I am the campus minister for RUF. This semester, we're working our way through a series on relationships of all kinds. And if you've been with us, you know that we've tackled a few issues about relationships. Uh, first, our need for relationship and our problem with relationships. And then we spent a few weeks, the past three weeks, we've been spending on friendship, uh, what it means to be a good friend, whom we should befriend, and uh, what it looks like to uh, be soaked in forgiveness. And this week, we're looking at our relationship to the church. Uh, when I say that, uh, I just want to say that I don't mean the universal church, like how do you relate to all Christians everywhere. I'm talking about the local church, the local expression of the church, groups of Christians you know, here in Milwaukee for our purposes, that gather together on Sundays to rest and to worship God? What is our relationship to places like Epicos Church or the Lutheran Church that's a couple blocks north of campus or uh, Christ Church Milwaukee? Like what, what is our uh, relationship to those places and to those peoples? Now, I just want to name something out front. Some of y'all have never been to church. Some of y'all uh, don't want to ever go to church. Uh, and some of you are sold out on going to church every day. Like if, you, if it was open on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, you would go to that too, right? I want to name that we, have, we probably have a very wide spectrum of people in here. Uh, and also the reality of the fact that like you're at RUF, which is an extension of the church on this campus, right? Uh, I am ordained in the PCA the local church has sent me here to care for students, but I am, uh, at, the, at the end of the day, I'm not the church and neither are any of you, right? Uh, that when we talk about local church, we don't, we don't have any of that. Uh, we don't break bread for the Lord's Supper or baptize people or any of those things at RUF, which means we're not really the church. Uh, I want to acknowledge all those experiences, and the reality is that some of you, even in this room, when I said we're going to talk about the church, you probably, your eyes, actually I saw a couple of this, you this happened, your eyes glazed over and you were like, I could not care less about the subject matter tonight. Um, some of that is because you might be sold out, some of that is also because uh, you have made up your mind that you want nothing to do with it because, the truth is, some of y'all come from really hard church backgrounds. I know that. Um, whether you felt really judged by your churches or you have thought that uh, somebody that you trusted broke your trust at some point at a local church or, um, or you just seen, like, the reality is, man, it does not take a lot to, a Google, a Google search of pastors who sin or, you know, like, infamous pastors who've done bad things or like church leaders, whatever, you will find a plethora of stuff about how the local church is actually this like horrible institution that does a lot of really awful things. And so you, you might not want to hear what I had to say. Here's what, here's what I'm going to ask of you for a few minutes, for a few minutes, will you give me just a chance to tell you what God has to say about his people? about his people who gather together on Sunday mornings and what they are and what they're doing. Uh, because, and here's why, you're not that different than the, the letter that we're going to read tonight. 
the church situation in Corinth, the, the letter that we're going to read was written to this church in the city of Corinth that also did not know what to make of the local church. They were a church and they did not know what it is they were or what they were supposed to do. And that was evidenced by a few things. Uh, some situations going on in Corinth that we know about from other places in the letter that we're not going to read tonight. Uh, there is a guy in the local church who is openly sleeping with his stepmom. Like everyone knows, and they're just cool with it, um, which is messed up. Uh, and then two, uh, there are some folks during the Lord's Supper that are getting drunk, like getting wasted, and then they're eating all the food before their brothers and sisters can join them, which again, like, what? Uh, and then lastly, um, some narcissistic jerks not, and this isn't even actually, this isn't last. There's a lot of other issues going on, but some narcissistic jerks have rose up in the church and have started looking down upon some other people in the church and suggesting that, you know, their contributions, who they are, what matters to them, uh, that they're less important. Whether it's from, you know, maybe they don't make as much money or maybe it's that they're not as gifted or funny or whatever. Uh, the At the end of the day, like, There's some real, I don't know, jerk-like behavior happening in this church. And Paul writes this letter under the influence, uh, you know, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He writes this letter to this church to give them a vision of what they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to do. Here's how he does it. Here's how he does it. He says the church is a body. The church is a body, and particularly it's Christ's body. If you're a note taker, if you've been with us for a while, you know that we usually make some points or whatever. We really just have one main idea. And that is this, that that the church is Christ's body. And there are two points that I want to explore about that. I want to to unpack what Paul means by the fact that the church is God's body, that it is Jesus's body. And then I want to unpack how that matters to us. And we'll look at those each in turn. So before we do that, uh, let's read the passage. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 31, and then 13, chap, uh, chapter 13, verse 1. Um, we're doing this as all in one section because, for the record, if you didn't know, there weren't chapters and verses when Paul originally wrote this to Corinth. The original inspired word didn't have breaks in it. So uh, we're just going to read straight into 13.1 because I think it all goes together. So let's start reading in verse 4. Now, There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. And these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. 
And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, do not belong to the body, that would make, not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, the sense of hear, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may, come, may, may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do they all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Let's pray. Dear God, we do pray uh, that um, despite a longer than normal passage, uh, that you would help me uh, to unpack uh, what it is the church is and how it's a body and what that means for us. I pray that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, a rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. So, right, as I said, uh, Paul is attempting to set the record straight on what the church is. And he does so by likening it to Christ, Christ's body. Uh, let's look at, for a second at, at that. Look with me at verse 27. Here Paul states it explicitly that the church is Christ's body. And in verse 12, sorry, I'm just making you flip all over the place. Uh, in verse 12, before he begins the extended metaphor, he implies it uh, by saying that the members of the church are like Christ, right? Christ standing in for Christ's whole self, his body. But what does that mean, right? Here's, here's our first point tonight. What does it mean that the church is Christ's body? Uh, Paul invokes a, a metaphor uh, to explain what he means by, by it, and it, and it takes up all of verses 14 through 26. And so we need to take some time to explore that metaphor. Here's what, here's what Paul is essentially saying in the metaphor. Each member of a body, right? If you take a toe or an eye or a hand, it possesses two things, right? If you think about a member of your own body, any like a finger, whatever, right? If you think about a member of your body, it possesses two things. It has a purpose and it has a need for the other members, right? It has a purpose and a need for the other members. The hand has a purpose and does what hands do, right? It touches things, grabs things. It's a good grabber right? You could do it with your toes, but it's not as good as, as a hand, right? Uh, shout out to White Shrew. He does that all with his feet or whatever. <laughs> Anyways, uh, right? You could train your toes, but hands do best. Uh, and, but here's the thing about hands, right? 
if I want to grab something, but I don't have eyes to see, it's going to be very hard for me to grab the thing that I want to grab. Right? It needs an eye to be of any use. Together, these two possessions, these two things that the body has, a purpose for the individual members, right? each one having a purpose, and a need for the others, these two possessions, they promote a functioning body. Right? They, they, they yield a functioning body. They allow the body to live and to function. Right? Paul says the church is basically the exact same way, that it has two possessions and a purpose. In the same way, each member of the church body possesses two things. Like a real body, for instance, number one, each member of the church has a purpose, a gift to share. Like, look at verse four. Look at verse four. Each member has a spirit-given gift to share with the body. Paul uh, goes on to elaborate some examples of those gifts in verses eight through 10. Um, I'll just say for our purposes tonight, part of the reason I read those so quickly is we are not going to walk through. We would be here like five days if I walked through all the, the gifts that Paul said. So we're taking more of a, like a flyover uh, view of what Paul's saying uh, instead of di- digging deep. If you want to talk about the gifts, if you're like, he said stuff about tongues and prophecy and all that stuff. Like, and I'd like to talk about that with you. I would also love to talk about it with you, but not right now. Uh, and so what that means is uh, that every member, right, from the same spirit is given some sort of a purpose, a gift, right? And again, uh, like a body, the second thing each member possesses is a need for the other member to use their gifts, right? So you have a gift if you're a member of the body and everyone else has a purpose too. And that purpose uh, is to use their gifts. Uh, look with me at verse 19. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Uh, you can't just have an ear and call it a body. Right? When your faith is placed in Christ, it's assumed that you are, jo- you are joined to a local church body. There's no such thing as an individual Christian just like meandering around in space. Right? What this is saying is that uh, there is no such thing as a single member. When you come into faith, you actually come into faith with a local body. Um, with a body that all has their own gifts. Look at verse 21, right? Thinking about us having an individual gift and others uh, being needed in order to uh, express that gift. Uh, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you, right? Uh, The reality is uh, other members cannot leave behind others if they want uh, to live, right? Right? what this is imagining is an eye that literally like pops out of its socket and is like, I'm done and goes on living autonomously from the rest of the Bible, from the body. Right. I may imagine like that's the image that he's giving us. And he's saying, is that how it works? And the answer, like we, we know like that's not really how it works. You need the other members to live. Right. Are we tracking? So to boil this down, just as body parts possess two purposes, Right. Uh, you know, a purpose, a gift, and a need for the other body parts. So also the church members possess gifts and a need for the other members' gifts. Y'all will hold on another three minutes. We're going to get to the practical stuff, I promise. Now, what do I mean by gifts, right? If we're talking about gifts, because it doesn't line up perfectly, right? Uh, A body like has purposes and he's using the word gift to describe like the purposes of the church. So, what exactly are spiritual gifts? Like, 
what is it that we have that we give to the church and that other people need us to give and we need them to give? What, it, what, what is happening there? Let's look at verses 5, 6, and 7. Let's pull up 5, 6, and 7. Can we get there? Great. Paul will use uh, three different like synonyms. You'll notice he says the same thing, but in three different ways after he says the first sentence. And you'll notice that it's even like the, you know, in the same uh, like structure uh, called a chiasm. There are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. Variety of service, but the same Lord. Variety of activities, but, you know, he's, he's using uh, synonyms to explain what he's talking about. And that means that if we put uh, the other words in place of gifts, where they are in each synonym through these three verses, uh, verse five, spiritual gifts are an act of service. Verse six, they're a God-empowered activity. Verse seven, they are a manifestation of the Spirit. If we're going to define what spiritual gifts are, uh, and we're hitting at it a little bit when we even just talk about a body and its function. It is, uh, you know, anything really that aids uh, the life of the church body, right? It's something that is unique to one member, one body part that helps the other body parts function well, right? Same way that if your hand, as it touches and grabs things, allows your eye to make use of its eye, eyeness. I just made that up. It's an eyeness. Um, uh, yeah, so, right, so that's what gifts are. Uh, and we're like that body uh, that has two purposes. Now, the question is, right, what does it look like for that body to be alive? Right, so if you remember, a body has two purposes that actually lead toward it having a uh, or sorry, it has two possessions that allow, that allow it to lead towards a purpose, like a common goal that the body has, right, to live. What does it look like for this body to live? Well, let's look at verses 27 through 13.1. A functioning body, according to Paul, is one that loves, right? With all, these, with all the other gifts that are mentioned here, all the other things that, that your members could have as gifts, as individual possessions, right? What it looks like for all those to come together in a functioning body and for the body to live is that it loves. Any activity without love, right, Paul says, is like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It's not actually doing the work of the body. Now, this is important for two reasons. It acknowledges why the church exists in the first place, right? Namely, that it is a group of people who have been loved by Jesus, You'll notice that as Paul explains what the church is, really what he's actually ultimately doing is introducing us to who Christ is, right? That, that as he explains what the purpose of a church is, he actually introduces us to how Christ loves us, which is sacrifice, giving toward another, um, loving other people, right? The point of a church is really to continue the work that Jesus began, loving his people, Right? Meaning that uh, the gospel is actually what this whole metaphor is about. And it's about God redeeming and loving his people as if it was his own body. Giving up his own body for another body. Um, despite our sin, despite our shortcomings, despite the ways that we don't really want to be part of this you know, organism. We don't really want to love people. Jesus died and gave us life. Uh, And that means that, yeah, Paul's introducing us to Jesus here. And if we remember that, 
we can know why it is like why the body is here. It's it's to die to itself for other people. Ultimately, that's the whole point of what this body does. That's what it's it's two possessions. It's it's members and their gifts, and the need for the other members is all so that it will love those who are unlovely. Now, here we go. Practical stuff. Practical stuff. I promised you practical stuff. We're getting into it. What does that mean for you and the church? You college kids, what do we do with that metaphor and Christ being Christ's body being the church? Here's the first thing that I'll say about uh, you know, our relationship to the church uh, when we're in college. I'd say this. You can't know Jesus without the church. That's the first point I would make. Uh, if, G- if the church is Jesus' body, then in some way it is impossible for you to know who Jesus is without membership in his body. Now, what I'm not saying is that being a part of a church saves you. That like you, that you have to believe in Jesus and trust him to die for your sins and also be a part of a church and then you can be a real Christian. What I am saying is this, that there's some aspect of Jesus that you're going to miss out on knowing. That you can't actually know him in his fullness if you are not involved, if you are not given over as a member to a local church. The reason for that is, uh, look at verses 15 through 16. It's not an option to be a member. He says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Like you can't actually get away from this is what he's saying. That there's actually no experience of the Christian life without being committed to a body. Uh, it's not an option. And then secondly, uh, I would say this, that's not just not an option. It's also, man, that's how you experience Jesus's love, right? That's how you experience Jesus's love. When I was, um, uh, a few of y'all know this about me, but my, uh, the year after I graduated college, uh, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer and actually ended up passing away uh, that fall after I graduated in the spring. I was 23, and I was pretty, I, we'll just say I was pretty miffed. I was, I was very upset with God, and I was wondering, like, look, man, I love you. I'm trying to do the good things. I'm, you know, trying to have a relationship with you. I know you're supposed to love me, but I don't feel very loved. And I went to, um, there was a Bible study that happened at my church uh, between my uh, pastor, assistant pastor, another girl who was on staff with me as an intern with RUF. We'd sing a few songs and we'd pray for each other. And I was there uh, on Wednesday, actually, it was like a week and a half after my mom passed. And I just told them all, like, I haven't really gotten out of bed in like five days uh, except to go to like RUF large group. And I literally like, I'm depressed and I'm sad and I'm angry and I don't really know what the point of even, like we're all singing these songs, but I don't really care about any of this stuff. And I'll never forget what happened after that. Um, my, the assistant pastor at the time, his name's Chris Manley. He got up, he put his arm around me, like hugged me. And then he said, I'm going to pray for you. And he prayed this prayer. He said, um, Lord, I know Nick doesn't really believe right now that you love him, but I know you do because you're hugging him right now. That's why you need the church. 
That is why you need the church because you need somebody to put their arm around you when you are in your lowest spot and you don't know if your ups from your downs, you need somebody to tell you the truth. You know what happened in that moment? Instead of me feeling crazy for trying to trust this God that, that sometimes gave me a raw deal, suddenly I felt crazy for not trusting him. Here he is giving me this, this brother who's holding me and hugging me. Here he is in his word telling me that he died for me, right? Uh, this is why we need the church because that's how he loves us, right? Jesus does has, he has a physical body. It is in heaven right now. He sends his spirit to work through his people, through his gifts to care for us. And I'm saying that if you are a Christian, avail yourself to that. And if you're not Christian, here's the beauty, right? What I'm saying is, uh, if you, if you want to know who Jesus is, man, RUF's great. The local church is really where his body's at, right? I am here actually to invite you to come get to know him somewhere else. Uh, you're welcome to stay here, right? I love you coming to RUF, um, and I want you to be involved here. But like the point of this whole group, even the people who are committed and go to church and all this stuff, is so that we can tell you that there's another body out there that is actually loving and doing that work. Um, now, here's the, here's the rub with that. Uh, I just said that that's, oh, I just painted this beautiful picture. And you're, uh, some of you guys are like, man, that would be so nice if I knew a pastor like that. <laughs> but you don't know my pastor. He's terrible. And I never want to be involved in the church again because I have had some really rough experiences. And the Christians I know are terrible people and they would never do any of the things that you're talking about. And uh, here's what I'll say about this. Christians behave you know, badly sometimes. Let's look at... Let's look at verses 22 through 26, paying particular attention to verse 24. Here's what, uh, here's what verse 24 says. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. In other words, as, as Paul would put it, the, the weaker parts, the parts we're embarrassed of, you know, the uncle that always gets in the fights at your Thanksgiving because he's like super conservative and you can't stand him. Or the liberal aunt. I don't know. I don't know, right? The liberal aunt that's doing the same thing. I don't know who it is for you at your, at your family reunions that you can't stand that's a Christian. But here's, here's what this is saying. That Paul is saying that even the weaker parts, and he'll compare them to sex organs that you want to cover up, right? The weaker parts. Uh, they are worthy of honor. It's actually your responsibility to make much of those, to love them, the weaker parts of the body, that those must be given greater care, not lesser. Now, here's the next question. Why would Paul tell us to love those people? Why, why would we bother being a part of a, of a group of people that have a bunch of people in it that I don't like? Why would I do that? The weak parts don't contribute a lot. Uh, you know, and, you know, if we think about uh, weak parts not contributing a lot and the gifts are actually meant to express love toward one another, it means they don't express a lot of love. It's not, there's not a lot lovely about some parts of the body. It's not just that they have less flashy gifts. It's that they are hard to love. And here's what I would say about that. Uh, if, if the church is a body, and it is, it's an imperfect one. The reality is that if the church is a body, it's an imperfect one. It's a sick body. It's a body that's ill right now. It's still not made perfect. Um, in Luke 5, we see this, you know, this like obvious nature of the, of the body in this way. In Luke 5, Jesus ends up uh, hanging out with some tax collectors and sinners, most likely uh, prostitutes. 
and there were some religious people of the day called Pharisees who were the good people. The people that you go to church and you want to hang out with because they're the good kind of people. They you know, read their Bible. They do all the right things. Uh, they were grumbling because Jesus was hanging out with all these sinners, all these people who rob and steal and, and take from people and are, are mean. And one of them, uh, the, the Pharisees ask the, you know, some of the disciples, they say, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answers them this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What that means is that, we, that Jesus came to love a bunch of broken, sinful people. So it really shouldn't be a surprise when we get in the church and there's a bunch of broken, sinful people there. Right? That it's an imperfect body. That, that's what the church is because that's, that's who Jesus is. That's who he hangs out with. That's who he wants to love. It's a bunch of people who are really hard to love sometimes. Uh, and the minute that we believe that those people, those people over there, the ones that you, that you don't go to church because you want to avoid them, right? The minute that you start thinking that they're not worthy of your time or your effort or your love, you prove that you lack the very grace that you desire from Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't look at you even though you don't deserve it and say, you're not worth my time. In fact, he moves toward you in your sin. And so that means that we prove ourselves to lack the very grace we have been given when we think of our brothers and sisters that way. So it should be an encouragement for us to, to try to, to put up with even the hard things, to love the hard things, uh, to also experience Jesus through his church. The other thing, the other thing, the one other thing, I got to pick one because I'm running out of time. The other thing I would say about church, uh, based on this whole metaphor, if you think about what the church is, right, if it's, you know, these, these body parts that give love uh, and depend on other parts to give their versions of love, right, and they all come together in this mission of loving people, right, and, and being Christ's body, uh, this common goal. Here's what this means at the very least. Church principally, is not a place where you go to consume. Let me say that again. Church, principally, is not a place where you go to consume. Everything else in our whole culture is basically trying to turn you into the best consumer that you can be. <laughs> right? They, like they, they want you to make enough money so you can consume more. Um, and if you make enough money, then you can pay for your kids to come to UWM and then they can charge even more to your kids Right, like the reality is like the whole system is set up to take to to actually have you just be a taker. Just take and take and take. And a lot of times the truth is in college, because you don't make a lot of money and because you're, you know, uh, busy with college things, you think that you're exempt from any service in the church. It doesn't need you. You'll come along, you'll become a member someday when you're older and you're wiser and you're ready and all that stuff. And what I would say is it is assumed that that is not your posture as a Christian, right? That Jesus has moved toward you even now and cares for you, has extended his body toward you even now. And there's no such thing as a Christian who just kind of like takes that. Grace goes somewhere, even in the life of the local church. Um, look at verses four through six, uh, especially in verses four through six. Let me pull that out. 
or more. Boom. That's the last time I'll ask you to you change, right? Like it is assumed that you are doing activities, uh, some very varieties of service, giving your gifts. Like the truth is that uh, to be a following member of Jesus is to give to a church. And this means also um, when you are picking a local church, a lot of you guys are, are freshmen and you're thinking through like how you're going to find a church, what kind of body you want to be in, all this stuff. Can I just say that like the way that you pick a local church is not by thinking how, how much did I enjoy everything that got fed to me, <laughs> right? The principal thing you should be asking if we believe that this is the reality of what the church is, is how, how does this church allow me to serve? How often do you think about that when you go to church? Where are my opportunities to serve? Where are my opportunities to give away more of my time and myself I'll, I'll confess, man, I don't think about that enough. I think, ooh, church, the place where they like fill me up, right? Where they like, they sing and I get to just show up and I sing and whatever. And the truth is that like the point of church is not that. <laughs> if we think of the church as a body, the point of the church is not to come and consume and take. So like when you're picking a church, thinking about like, oh, I really like that worship band and that pastor was really flashy and this was really good. Like, man, that's all consumption minded. And the truth is that like we're being called out of consumption and actually into production, caring for other people. And the reason we do that, again, it's not just to like earn something. It's not just to like, like prove ourselves or anything like that. It's actually because Jesus has done that for us, right? That Jesus has laid his life on the line and he wants a people a people on earth who are thinking about how can I lay my life down for others? That's how we pick churches. That's how we go and join a local church is we give ourselves away. Does that make sense? I I hope so. Um, uh, There are discussion questions involved for what that looks like. um, And we'll break up with that. Let me pray for us.